This educational activity was developed in partnership between Cortuad and the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research, supported by an independent medical education grant from the Rare Bone Disease Consortium, represented by Alexion, AstraZeneca Rare Disease, by Ibsen and by Kiwakiran, who had no input into selection of topics or speakers. Hello, and welcome to this Rare Bone Diseases podcast series covering highlights from ASBMR 2022. The first podcast in our conference series features the Rare Diseases Symposium, held on September 8th. The goal of this topical meeting was to promote interaction between basic, translational, and clinical researchers in the rare bone disease field. My name is Carrie Brubaker, and today I have the privilege to be joined by Professor Anna Teti from the University of L'Aquila in L'Aquila, Italy. An expert in rare bone disease and in human anatomy and histology, Professor Teti was chair of the Rare Diseases Symposium. Welcome, Professor Teti, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carrie. I'm very happy to uh, be here and address the audience uh, with uh, the highlights of this symposium. Wonderful. Thank you. In this episode, you're sharing highlights and key insights from presentations that took place at the Rare Diseases Symposium. Which presentations will you review with us today, and why are they interesting? I reviewed three presentations. One is from Professor Michael White from the Schinner Hospital for Children in St. Louis, entitled New Frontiers in Rare Bone Diseases. The other is from Professor Cecilia Gotterstrom from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, entitled Transplantation in Osteogenesis Imperfecta. And the third one is from uh, Professor Julie Hoover-Fong from the John Hopkins University in Baltimore in US, entitled Treatment of Echondroplasia. These are a group of uh, presentations quite different uh, because Professor White's lecture was focused on uh, several rare bone diseases that currently are in clinical trials uh, and that can be found in the clinicaltrials.gov website. This presentation is interesting because provided an updated portrait of the ongoing studies. He showed the advancements in the field for several of these diseases and touched each disease briefly to show where the current new frontier in the field is. The second presentation is very innovative, I would say, because at the very beginning, being focused especially on safety, The method is innovative because they want to investigate the possibility to treat osteogenesis imperfecta with uh, what are called mesenchymal stem cells that can be isolated from the umbilical cord. So the availability of these stem cells should be quite easy. It's innovative because if it works, uh, it should replace the diseased cells with uh, new cells formed by these mesenchymal stem cells that can give rise to many different cell types. So I think that this is the most innovative possibility that we can consider for the future. Regarding the third one uh, on achondroplasia, achondroplasia among the, the, the rare diseases is quite uh, frequent, I would say. It's one of the most frequent. And uh, uh, there are several 
drugs that are being tested in clinical trials that you can also find in the clinicaltrials.gov uh, website, trying to block uh, the activity of a receptor that is involved in this disease that is overactivated, so works more than the normal receptor. So the meaning is try to block the activity of this receptor and try to cure the symptoms of the disease. So there are three different approaches in these three presentations, but they are absolutely advanced and uh, very promising, I would say. That's really great to hear. Thank you, Professor Tati. We appreciate the summary. What I'd like to do is return to the discussion on new frontiers in rare bone disease treatments, and you've given us a little taste of what you heard about on the symposium day. Could you go a little bit more into detail into those clinical trials that were highlighted and which ones you think hold greatest promise in the near future? Yes, there are several clinical trials, actually, with different aims, I would say. So Professor White, who is an eminent professor in the rare bone disease field, captured a list of diseases, which probably is not complete, but they are examples with promising developments. So the list included the multicentric carpotarsal osteolysis syndrome, the Janssen-type metaphysial chondrodysplasia, the generalized arterial calcification of infancy, the fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, the familial hypophosphatemia, the hypophosphatasia, osteogenesis imperfecta, and the dysostosis. So it's a long list of uh, severe diseases that really require interventions to try to improve the quality of life of these patients. The list is made by diverse diseases, each with specific peculiarities, thus requiring different medical approaches. And Professor White highlighted the unmet medical needs that require more developments and also touched some aspects related to side effects that are very specific for these rare diseases and are not seen when the same drug is used, for instance, to cure common diseases. For instance, he mentioned the event that is called the hypocalcemia, that is a adverse event developed by a group of drugs that are called anti-resorptive agents. He alerted the audience on the correct patient follow-up for a therapy outcome that may diverge from the knowledge acquired to cure common diseases. So these drugs are not specific for the disease, but cure one important symptoms that is shared by several rare diseases. And this message, in my opinion, is extremely important for clinicians to be prepared to address every diverse events induced by the treatment that are not seen, as I mentioned earlier, in common diseases. So I think that this is absolutely important. So there is a hope for at least for some of these diseases, the cure will be developed very well and the patients can have advantages of this treatment. I would mention here, for instance, the hypophosphatasia, the osteogenesis imperfecta, and others. So uh, there is a hope for these patients, I would say. Thank you very much for these insights. It's very important, as you say, also to share information about therapies and potential adverse events 
so the clinicians and other healthcare professionals in our listening audience can be aware and keep an eye out for those. Perhaps now we can talk about the findings in the presentation Transplantation in Osteogenesis Imperfecta. What novel developments were shared and who do you think could benefit from these developments the most? Yes, as you know, osteogenesis imperfecta is investigated clinically by many groups with different approaches. Most of them are pharmacological approaches, as I mentioned earlier, using drugs used also for other diseases. But this research group in Karoliska Institute started clinical trials treating the disease with the mesenchymal stem cell isolated from the umbilical cord. So these cells have been called BOOST before, and the clinical trial is ongoing on Sweden. It's a preliminary stage in which they need to investigate if there are adverse effects in, with this uh, treatment. It's not easy to use mesenchymal stem cells for therapy, but if they succeed, this is uh, really the therapy for the future, at least for certain diseases, including osteogenesis imperfecta. So the study will allow to establish if the treatment is safe. And the scientists recruited 18 children from seven European countries. These children received one to four doses of stem cells, each from the same donor, because you preserve these cells, you cryopreserve the cells, and you can use them in multiple steps. Three of the 18 participants received one prenatal dose followed by postnatal doses. And this is very innovative because it could cure the disease at the very, very beginning if there is a prenatal investigation. So the last dose of the stem cells will be administered in December 2022, so the end of this year. And the last primary follow-up will be completed in December 2023. This is what is called the short-term follow-up that will be followed by a long-term follow-up that will be initiated immediately after. Of course, they are already collecting data, and it seems that the initial safety data in this short-term follow-up indicates that multiple same-donor stem cell transplantations in small children with this disease is safe. They worked on the so-called type 4 OI, and uh, this is a very severe disease. Some concern arises for one child receiving the prenatal dose, so this needs to be followed with much attention to prevent any severe adverse effect. So in terms of innovation, probably this is the most innovative approach. In terms of outcome, uh, we'll, uh, we still don't know. But if the treatment will be safe, there will be a hope for a continuation and a hope to establish a new way to treat this disease and other diseases with similar etiology. Thank you very much for sharing that information about transplantation in OI. I'm sure our audiences will be following that closely in the months and indeed years ahead. You also mentioned news in the treatment of achondroplasia. Could you give us some similar insights on that discussion? Uh, yes. As mentioned earlier, chondroplasia is uh, one of the most frequent rare diseases. So affect many children, and it's absolutely important to find a therapy for them. 
So the disease uh, is due to a pathogenic variant of receptor. This receptor is called FGF receptor 3. And as I mentioned earlier, is a gain of function variant, meaning that this mutant receptor is more active than the normal receptor. So uh, the information that we accumulated over time uh, led to a variety of clinical trials currently ongoing, which will tell us hopefully shortly, if the disease can be cured or at least ameliorated pharmacologically. The clinical trial can be found on the clinicaltrial.gov website, and uh, the available experimental drugs are designed to either interact with the receptor itself or to alter the function of downstream molecules that transmit the information uh, from the receptor to the cell. So given that the function of the receptor is stronger than normal, the aim is to reduce its activity, acting on different fronts. So it's important also to note that the greatest morbidity in patients with achondroplasia is spinal stenosis in adults, and the greatest mortality derives from the stenosis of the so-called foramen magnum, and uh, cervical cord compression in infants and uh, young uh, children. Therefore, it is important that the effective treatments can target these morbidities. And the studies are ongoing, and we hope to see the results pretty shortly. So I'm quite confident that this disease has a really a hope to be cured, if not completely, at least enough for give the possibility to patients to have a nearly normal quality of life. We really appreciate those insights. And I'm certain, again, that the achondroplasia community in particular is going to stay apprised of this work. When we start speaking about the potential for a near cure, that really stands out in an important way. Professor Teti, at this time, we are approaching the conclusion of our discussion. But before then, is there anything further you would like to highlight from the Rare Diseases Symposium. Oh yes, I'm happy uh, to say that the symposium was successful, that there were presentations of many experts. And uh, what I really liked from the symposium was the great interaction that I uh, could note between the basic scientists, the translational scientists, the clinical scientists, and the patient organizations. So it was a kind of big family of people that wanted to share results, concerns, ideas for the future, having the patients uh, central in the activities of the symposium. Because in the end, we cannot just play around with mechanisms, drugs, and so on, but we have to target the patients. We have to give them a hope for the future. We have to alleviate their symptoms, give them the possibility to have a, a good life and uh, to be loved by the community. And uh, I must say as a scientist, this was one of the best feelings that I had in this symposium. And for me, it was a honor to work on that and uh, an easy task, I must say, because the collaboration among all these people was just great. And this is science. This is what we like in science. Professor Teti, that is wonderful to hear. 
And we would like to take the opportunity to congratulate you on the success of the Rare Diseases Symposium Day uh, to you and all of the participants and speakers from that event. Once again, thank you very much for sharing your valuable insights with us. At this time, I would also like to thank our podcast listeners. We encourage you to tune in to the next episodes from the ASBMR 2022 Rare Bone Diseases Series. Thank you for listening and all the best. This podcast was brought to you by Courtoed Independent Medical Education and by the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research. Please visit courtoed.com and asbmr.org for more information.